Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Creative Control with Bish Khan. By the time you hear this episode, I will be in Halifax, Nova Scotia for the Halifax Pop Explosion. And if you see me in Halifax, please say hi. Don't don't tweet about how you saw me and you didn't say hi, because people do that sometimes, and it's, it's odd. Just come say hi. I'm very approachable. I'm attending the uh, Pop Explosion to uh, do a couple of panels and uh, just check out stuff. You can learn more about it at halifaxpopexplosion.com. And uh, this show, this particular episode, has a bit of a Halifax theme to it. First of all, I don't know if you heard the episode a couple weeks ago where I went to Oshawa, Ontario to meet up with uh, one of my favorite singers and songwriters, Mike O'Neill. Uh, he, he let me into his childhood home, and I met his mom, Anne, and she was very sweet. And this week I was feeling a little dejected, frankly, and, and, and I got this nice uh, thing in the mail, and I'd like to read it to you. It's on Hallmark Stationery. Dear Vish, thank you for making the trip to Oshawa, Ontario to interview my brother Michael O'Neill. And you met my mother, who is a trip. I really enjoyed the entire interview. Your line of questioning is very good. Sincerely, Mary P. Hazelback from North Carolina. Mary, thank you so much. This is a lovely thing that you've done. I feel good about it. I felt good about that episode. Your family's awesome. Thank you. Thank you once again. So there you go. That's nice. And Mike lives in Halifax, so I'm going to hopefully I'll see Mike and we can talk about this card and other stuff and uh my guest today also has halifax roots he uh first came to my attention because of his association with murder records which has been profiled on this podcast before a label run by sloan they put out records by a fellow named al tuck and uh in september al and i uh, went up to cfru 93.3 fm in guelph and we did a live radio interview about his whole life and his uh, latest brilliant record stranger at the wake Al's at the Halifax Pop Explosion this week, so I figured it might be a good time to, to share this with you. So here's myself, Al Tuck. You'll hear a, a song from Al's new record if you're not familiar with it. And uh, yeah, so here it is. Enjoy the show. See you in Halifax. Let's have a good time. Okay? Okay. On Wednesday, October 30th, Montreal's Aurora, featuring members of Broken Social Scene and Land of Kush, and Toronto's 
Fedra, featuring members of Hooded Fang, perform a show together at Silence. Silence, located in Guelph, Ontario at 46 Essex Street. The show is all ages. Uh, it is only partially accessible. The bathrooms are not accessible at Silence. Uh, doors are at 8 p.m. The show begins promptly at 8.30 p.m. And it's $12. It's a presentation of Keep Your Eyes Open. Wednesday, October 30th, Aurora, Fedra, Silence, Guelph. Don't miss it. For more information, vishkana.com. But I am losing mine because in the pines, in chance and fortune in Al Tuck hails from Charlottetown on the beautiful island of Prince Edward Island in Canada. Over the past 20 years, Tuck has established himself as one of the world's great songwriters and musicians, quietly releasing one stellar album after the next and earning the respect and admiration of any lyricist and guitarist who hears him. His latest album is Stranger at the Wake and was released by Cameron House Records in 2013 when it was long-listed for the Polaris Music Prize and earned critical accolades elsewhere. Tuck is in the midst of a tour behind the record and just played Guelph last night, as a matter of fact. Here now to discuss some of these things is the great Al Tuck. Hey, Al, how you doing? Good, Vish. How, nice. how, how's the great uh, Vish Khanna? <laughs> the great Vish Khanna is doing okay. There's always technical issues with the great Vish Khanna, it seems, but uh, it's great to have you here in the studio, as it were. It's nice to be back. Have you been to see it for you before? I don't think, unless it was in the uh, in the dark ages. What are the dark ages, Al? Well, before uh, they had all this shit, uh, <laughs> all this stuff. Yeah, please no cursing on yeah, the radio. I saw the sign, There's yeah. a sign that says "Don't don't curse." That's so still you, cursing, okay? Yeah, yeah, that is actually still cursing. They haven't changed the rules. Oh, okay. About that, yeah. So, how was your evening? Uh enjoyed it very much. It was uh, could have been much more pleasant. It was good, right? I mean, you had a good show at the, uh, whatchamacallit, the uh, Silence Guelph. Silence Guelph, yeah. And, uh, wow, what a space. Loved it. It's a nice space, isn't it? I wanted to ask you about Guelph because you've been to Guelph. We were talking about this last night. You've been to Guelph a lot in your time, like since the mid-90s or something, early 90s. Yeah, starting to add up. Yeah, Yeah, you've probably been here a lot. I don't normally read fan mail. I don't get much fan mail for the show. But I got an interesting uh, message from a fellow, and I wanted to read it to you because I thought you may, may may be able to uh, offer him some insight. I could too, but I wanted your perspective as a visitor to the city. His name is uh, Greg Mastrine. Here's what he writes. Hi, Vish. I'm a fairly new listener to Creative Control, and I enjoy it very much. I have a question or perhaps a suggestion. On your podcast, you often mention your city of Guelph, both during your band interviews and in the mentions of pizza shops and music festivals that you support or that support your podcast. That's nice. He's pizza. Pizza. You can't go wrong with pizza. You like pizza, don't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but prior to listening to Creative Control, I had never heard of Guelph. I don't know if this would be worth mentioning on your podcast in reply to this email or in any other fashion, but for your non-Canadian listeners, perhaps you could talk a bit about your town. I found it on a map, so I know it's near Toronto, but beyond that, I don't know anything about it. Is it considered a suburb of Toronto, or does it have its own personality separate from Toronto? Have any cool bands come from there? If you go to shows, would you have to travel to Toronto, or do bands make stops in Guelph? Is there a comparable U.S. city? 
Anyway, I'm listening to your Lou Barlow interview right now, and for whatever reason, the subject matter popped into my head while I'm wasting time at work. Keep up the good work. Greg, thanks, Greg. Thanks for the note. Al, you are a visitor to Guelph, but you've been here so much, you're practically a resident. <laughs> what is your impression of our city for Greg? I mean, if you could, because I could do it. I live here. But I'm, uh, you're, I want your perspective. Because as I say, it's hard for me to be objective, given that I live here. What's your take on Guelph? Well, let me see. It's a, obviously, it's a school town, for one thing. Yeah. I don't know what, uh, see, I mean, I feel kind of ill-equipped to uh, sum up Guelph. Yeah, no, no, are there no. major industries here? Or? There are, are some major industries, and I, I we can get into the kind of infrastructure kind of thing, aspect. You want my... Just your impression of it. You come here a lot, and yeah. you keep coming back. People invite you to come back, so that's one thing. But what is it about the city that uh, maybe draws you to come back beyond the invitations? Well, it's like a little uh, oasis of, uh, I don't know... Uh, the gentlemanly and the ladylike. Yes, that's true. People are people are very civilized, and uh, and they have like a, a concentration to their uh, their um, lives. It seems they're focused on trying to uh, come up with good things crea- creatively. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, and they seem to. Um, working well together in this uh, architecturally uh, interesting environment. You spent time in, in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is a hilly kind of area, and there's a part of Guelph, parts of Guelph remind me a little bit of Halifax. Uh-huh. Do you get that? bit, yeah. Um, Very English, there's like an English kind it's of... It's English, yeah. That's, all the names you know, are... what it is. Yeah, yeah. Dublin's... Well, that's, Dublin's not English. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> I was also going to say Edinburgh. That's not English either. But there's like... Yeah. There's kind of like a, you know, United Kingdom, London Street. We've got... You know, there's just like lots of names. Glasgow, Dublin, London. Yeah, yeah there's an area of Halifax that has all this um, UK city place names too. Right, right. But uh, I think there are a lot of... Uh, Seem to be a lot of nice trees here. Quite, quite a variety of trees. I'm not a, like a student of trees, but uh, you're not an arborist. Ontario in general, I think, has uh, uh, is a good spot for arborists. Yeah, I think so for the study of arbory. I don't know what it is. <laughs> First time I use that word, people. <laughs> um, the history of Guelph for this fellow um, musically. Let's see who comes out of Guelph. Constantines were from here. Uh, who had a deal on Sub Pop. Jim Guthrie, Royal City. Royal City popped into mind first. Yeah. yeah. Um, Diamond Rings is from Guelph in some way. He's from Oshawa, but spent time here. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of... There's a rich music. Louis Melville. Right. You, yeah, well, you, got, you can't forget him. You can't forget Louis. He, you made a at least one recording with Louis for one of his compilations, 60-second yeah. songs. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, it's been too long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah who else? King Cobb Steely from here right um there's there's tons lots of stuff it's a historic town i mean and you're part of the history now because you played here so much oh thanks Vish. now i have to ask you about a thing because it comes up sometimes in your biographical minutia mm-hmm. cult audience cult hero uh, what does that mean to you when someone says that because on one level it it suggests small 
but it also suggests loyalty. Yeah. Anything with a cult is can be scary. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's, yeah, it's, it suggests kind of like a charismatic individual uh, sort of possessing the minds and lives of others, uh, of a mob, you know, and uh, uh, also, uh, in addition to those things you mentioned, I guess it's a, it's an indie rock term or something yeah. that, that means something different in the context. I never tried to uh, uh, possess the minds or and lives of my anybody. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, Not my, deliberately uh, is what you mean. A mob. I didn't become the nucleus of a mob or anything. My, uh, you know, I don't have a hair hairdo like Jerry Lee or something. You know, uh, so I don't know. You mean you weren't? Cult. You yeah. were, you you didn't you don't consider yourself some arbiter of taste or aesthetic uh, leadership per se. No. No. But for some reason, this, this follows you around. Uh, you know, people like me, uh, and it's very prominent people, often sing your praises in, in hopes that more people will pay attention. Do you actually see a, any results from that? Do you see more people <laughs> coming and being like, I heard Feist was talking about you. She's a big fan. I, I thought I'd come check out your show or whatever. Uh, yeah. Our, not that exact uh, example, but... Uh I know people have come to shows that have been poorly attended that uh, Joel Plaskett, or because they heard me as a guest on a Joel Plaskett album, you know, uh, a couple of guys who come down and make up my audience in Victoria years ago, like, and say, uh, weren't you the, you were the doctor on uh, in need of a medical attention or mm -hmm. something. So that's a big boost from zero to two in that case. <laughs> <laughs> anything helps right anything helps uh you joel, bet yeah. yeah joel was just in town uh, not too long ago and i asked him before the encore he came off uh, of the stage and i said can you do me a favor and he went you know he's all rattled from playing and he's all like well yeah sure he was all like hyped up i'm yeah. like well al's coming to town do you mind telling people that al's got the show and he did it totally did it and, oh, okay. and people were like oh okay maybe i'll come to the show i don't know if they did i, uh -huh. I saw a couple strange yeah some of these statements do just sort of blow away in the wind yeah. for sure yeah yeah but i mean you're comfortable with this like you you continue to make records and you continue to travel and and you're serving whoever it serves i guess you, you don't pay that much attention to stats numbers that kind of thing you know no i can't uh i mean uh i don't pay enough attention to um the nuts and bolts of publicity publicizing uh, promoting and, uh, you know, all that kind of thing, uh, because it would be gratifying or some, maybe the shows could be more highly charged if they were packed and things. But, uh, seems like I have enough of a cult following to, uh, to make up some kind of an audience and so that I can, uh, eke out to these, uh, this, uh, manner of living. Do you do you feel aligned with any other figures who might fit that mold of sort of subversive? Well, they're not even subversive, just people that, for whatever reason, have kind of exist in the margins. Even though so many people, like, are you ever mystified by this? I mean, it's hard for you to be objective. It's hard for me to be objective. I've been following your your work for so long, but on some level, you're just like, why aren't more people 
seeing the genius of this. This is my perspective, and I don't mean to put you in an uncomfortable position. But do you do you relate to figures? Are there other figures like that in your that you're a fan of that you're just like? Why are more people into, I don't know, Michael Hurley or something? I think that's what they said about uh, Towns Van Zandt, you right. know, and the way, and I don't know, he traveled and played kind of not all over, I don't think, you know, sort of between Colorado and Texas or something, mm-hmm. certain places he went. And uh, I don't know, I mean, I, I'm more of a family man when I'm not touring than he was from what I've heard. <laughs> but uh and then like he had the respect of the other songwriters working at the time and uh you know he got these plot plaudits from them yeah but uh you know i don't know how his f- financial situation worked but that uh, might not be comparable but uh same kind of casual approach to to the whole game and and just sort of gradually getting uh increasing intention yeah know, attention and lasting lasting uh love you know there are kind of anomalies in your working life that i can think of where people in a different stratosphere have paid attention to you or asked you to do stuff i'm thinking like of things like you were involved in some film work yeah. uh, voiceover work uh-huh. can you talk about that a bit yeah, well, that was just a freak, you know. I just follow my nose, and one thing sometimes leads to another, and um, I ended up uh, through some friends I had in Montreal, uh, getting this, uh, landing this uh, role in uh, Higgledy Piggledy Pop, an animated uh, short film that they made. Um, do you want to know how it happened or more about the movie or um, uh, I, I'm curious about how it happened uh, I imagine most people are because that's well I was flown uh, uh, flown up to Montreal uh, to uh, sing one duet with uh, Laura Borealis and uh, and so I tacked on I figured well I'm in Montreal I have to do a show and one song is isn't very many to fly to Montreal for. Sure. So uh, I ta- I was able to tack on a show and got uh, in touch with these film uh, filmmaker uh, poster des- they their designers and filmmakers. Um, just met just to mention that I was around. They could come down to the the gig there, and they happened to be casting about for. Uh, for someone to play this role and the union had sent them 12 union members who uh, they weren't quite uh, right I, I guess so they said a light they went like bing maybe Al, Al Tuck could do this you know so I went in and did the uh, audition got the part and went back home and then a while later they flew me up to Montreal to uh, to record it so I don't usually fly around like this, but uh, it's just kind of like, uh, yeah, I've always had a combination of luck, you know. It hasn't all been good, but uh, yeah, yeah, extreme yeah. good luck, extreme bad luck. Who? So who actually did you interact with in terms of the, the makers of the film? Uh, well, the guy's name is uh, Michek Serbowski, I think is how you say his last name, uh, 
um, and his partner Chris Levis. They make up the Clyde Henry Productions. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, right after I did the thing, they scored Meryl Streep to play the the lead role opposite. Uh, <laughs> and oh, uh, uh, yeah, there's more to the story. It's uh, it's it's kind of weird. But are you so? Are you in the film? Yeah. Oh, you never heard that? No, I haven't actually heard it. Or saw that? This is the so. Just to be clear, this is the Spike Jones film. Well, he was the executive producer. Oh, the executive producer. And he was the initiator. He had seen their their first film, which was nominated for a, an Oscar mm-hmm. at a festival, and he liked it. And he, and he was doing Where the Wild Things Are, based on. Um, oh, jeez. You know the children's role. Isn't writer, it Roll Dahl? No, no. Uh, but what's his name? What's uh? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'll never get it. No, I know. Uh, I, I, everybody knows. Hang on, we'll figure it out. I got a computer here. I'll just use my computer because <laughs> okay. I can't. I'm blanking on it too. It's uh, uh it's on the tip of my he, tongue. Yeah. If someone knows, they can probably. He passed hear us. away. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he just since. passed away, and he was on the Colbert Report, and he was really funny, and. Uh, yeah, he's uh, great. Uh, uh, just it slipped Maurice my mind. Sendak. Maurice Sendak. Why did yeah. we forget the late Maurice Sendak's name? We're bad. Sorry, people. Maurice. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, so the, he wanted a, a short, like uh, an intro to to the uh, long film he was making uh-huh. that was based on another Sendak children's book. And the one that they were interested in doing was Higgledy Piggledy Pop. Oh, okay. That's what it is. So uh, 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 it's fun now. Like my, I've got the book, and I can read it to my daughter, and we coming up to the part with the milkman cat. She was like... <laughs> Oh, it's the next chapter is you, Daddy. You know, like, <laughs> uh, they changed the script a bit from the book, so I have to kind of adjust. But uh, so that was just like a one of a kind thing, and then it was like some people were saying, "Hey, you should get an agent. This is better, yeah, 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 better money, and uh, and could be uh, nice work if you can get it." But uh, I don't know. I made some attempts at it, and uh, I didn't f- find an agent. So it's just this one. One thing. gig sitting there. Uh, it's too bad I didn't get more work like that. But uh, uh, you know, I don't know how to go about uh, becoming a part of it. Oh, plus, like the sort of roles you might end up coming your way, you might have objections to, or yeah, whatever, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I just don't want to get into that kind of moral quandary. You've uh, you have established yourself as having this very distinctive voice, obviously, and people are are able to pick up on that. Can you talk a little bit about? maybe your musical upbringing or your upbringing in general? Like, what what actually got you singing in public and sort of using your voice as an instrument? Right. Okay, well, I've talked about this before. Uh, I hope they don't hear about this back home. I, well, no, it got me to some hot water as a as a kid there, being in the uh, boys' choir. Yeah, you were in, you were like it's in... not the, a church choir, but a, a, a sort of... A, public or confederation center boys choir or whatever now uh, my parents put me in that and also signed me up to art classes because i had shown talent in that area uh i didn't like being i didn't like classes or whatever so i dropped that but the choir uh ended up taking me you know we would go on, on tour and stuff you know to through maine and and uh bermuda and so that was nice, you know. I just had to keep it from my friends at at school or whatever, and they they never knew until I sang the uh, national anthem before a junior A hockey championship. You kept it from your friends out of some shame, or oh yeah, yeah, it was 
you know, you'd be a fairy if you were sing, singing in a choir, or even back then on the island, like singing anything, I think. Now they perhaps they're more enthusiastic about some singers, but uh, choir singing, you know, that was frowned upon, you know, in the in the uh, culture there. Hmm. So when I sang this, I got asked to to sing the uh, national anthem there at Center Rice in the pregame ceremonies, and the jig was up. The next day, you know, after that, my life was ruined. <laughs> we had to leave town. We moved to uh, Georgetown. No way, really? Because of that? Well, it's a coincidence. No, probably. my father. We moved for my father's reasons, okay. not mine. But it was kind of timely. <laughs> it worked out well. Okay, that's fair. And uh, then, uh, so that was that kind of singing. And one of the choir directors, I remember talking to him on the phone later after my voice had changed. He was out in BC. He'd been scandalized, but had to had to move up too. Scandalized. Oh, that's that's too long a story. Okay. Anyways, he said, Alan, just one second. Alan, you have a hollow voice. <laughs> you have a hollow voice. A hollow voice. That's what he thought, and he'd heard a lot of voices, right? And he, he's, what does that mean? A hollow voice. Well, it, it doesn't. Might not sound hollow at the moment, but in some circumstances, it, I, you can't even hear me. Like, oh, um, it's not a very piercing voice or mm. whatever or something, you know. So, or if my ears are acting up, like people can't hear me in bars or. So, uh, you know, with this hollow voice, I sort of got into you know pop music where I had always been, mm -hmm. Elvis and. Um, and then later on, uh, Bob Dylan, you know, so there was somebody with a, a voice that not everybody considered, uh, perfect that was, had a, something, a lot going on nevertheless, right? You know, that, that is that one of the reasons you gravitated towards Dylan before you got into songwriting was his voice? Uh, I let me see, uh. Well, it was all of it, you know, the these words spilling out and the, you know, the riddle-like nature of mm -hmm. what he was doing. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but there's, to me, there's nothing wrong with his voice. He's done more with that voice than, uh, than uh, any singer, you know, in terms of variety. No, I don't think there's really a better singer. <laughs> and uh, it's phrasing... Yeah. Singing is phrasing, yes, really. Yeah, and he's not—he's never out of tune. No, and he can phrase the hell out of it. Anything, you know, like yeah. There's so, a, what I more do you want? Always seemed like a very confident voice to me, like very like sure of itself. You know, never for someone whose voice has been maligned so much. Anyway, it's, it's interesting. Okay, so you get into Elvis, you get into Dylan. These are your early heroes. Bob Marley, I sang a lot with him. You sang a lot with Bob Marley. <laughs> I mean. Uh, you know, with, along with the records. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Bob, so, Bob Marley, yeah. Why, what was it about uh, Marley? Well, the same thing. He was just kind of like, uh, seemed to have something to say, and uh, he was going to say it, and uh, he, he knew how. And, uh, you know, charisma. You know, I like the uh, the artists or individuals, you know, like, uh, and just have... Uh, charisma and authority you know i don't like just like people who are 
uh, you know, carbon cop yeah. copies efficiently delivering tunage. You sure. know, like uh, I want somebody who ha has uh, a mind. You know, you, you mentioned that uh, at some point you got into more pop music and. Um at some point, you ended up in Halifax, which for a long time, uh, in, certainly in the 90s, was became this new mecca of Canadian pop music. Um, can you talk about what brought you to Halifax and, and when? Yeah, it was simply universe, time to go to school, university, the next level of school. Okay. And uh, so uh, my family had attended uh, university there uh, of King's College, and my marks weren't so high, so... The, it was one time my family name helped out, you know. Your marks uh, weren't so high in high school, you mean? Yeah, not like all. Like to get in. Not all of them. Some of them were very low. So Your family was well-respected in the area? I mean, in at the university because oh. they had, my father had gone there and my sister had been, gone there. And they probably thought I'd be okay, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was loud in there for one thing. So that's why I went to Halifax. What did you uh, study? Uh... Well, they had a foundation year program there uh, that was made up for most of the first year credits, the, hist the supposed history of the Western world uh, in literature, you know, like, uh, which was a very good uh, crash course in a lot of stuff. Uh, or, you know, and then after that, you took your classes at DAP. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, and so I majored in English and took a few philosophy, comparative religion, that kind of thing. You know, nothing to... Uh, uh, I had an English prof there that I re really liked. But you know, uh, you know, I was kind of a lazy student and into some other things. And did you did you complete? Some, yeah, yeah, I did. You were yeah. happy, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. took me uh, an extra part of a year, but I did. Yeah, I, I, I guess I never kind of thought of you as a particularly. This might be my own doing, but until your most recent record, I never thought of you as particularly like spiritual or or not spiritual. That's the wrong word. Uh, religious, I guess, is the right word. Uh. And I still don't know if that's where you're coming from. Mm. Uh, because there's a, you did this last night uh, in Guelph. You you did uh, uh, there is a God, right. which is uh, segmented on the record mm -hmm. on Stranger at the Wake. But you did it all as one long song. In fact, on the CD version of it, which I don't know if there's any other version, at the end there's like a bonus track of all of these segments 
line together. And it's a cappella, you doing these There's a God verses. And then last night you did basically did that with guitar. And as I say, like, it's, uh, I love it. It's, but it was jarring for me to hear initially because I didn't realize that you had this. No. I don't even know if it's a pious thing that you're doing. How would you explain <laughs> that? Well, all these words have been conscientiously ruined for people. So if I say I'm religious or, or if he says he's religious, that's not going to turn anybody on. Pious, that's a word that was wrecked a long time ago. Righteous. Mm-hmm. If you want to be righteous, that's a bad thing. That means self-righteous. Right. Uh, these words have been disembodied or deployed. What's the word I'm looking for? Like disabled? Disabled, yeah. Uh, or, uh, yeah. Eh. In a conscious way. So that the concept can be removed from life. So I don't, I don't mind saying I'm, I'm religious. Or uh, most people would say I'm, they might say they're spiritual or something. That sounds better. But Well, you're faith-oriented? I don't know. <laughs> you seem to have a faith. I don't know if it's faith yeah, yeah, I don't know. Faith. Uh, it's all I've I can go on, right? Like I wouldn't have sur- survived this long uh, in uh, without divine assistance. You right. know? I don't think anybody would be here without it. Hmm. That's what everything is. <clears throat> so, so, so let's let's just say, for the sake of argument, that divine intervention brings you to Halifax when it does. You're doing your school. You're doing your schooling. And then this movement occurs, this musical movement occurs. They call it the Halifax Pop Explosion. And somehow you're, how are you involved in this thing? How do you become involved? Oh, let's see. Uh, well, my music making, uh, I really got into it at university. And uh, it was, I uh, played there first. But then after university was done, I really hit it hard. And... uh First in a solo kind of way at home, without this not performing or anything, but writing and, and rec- four-tracking and stuff. And then uh, that was pretty intense. And then uh, I thought, well, it'd be nice to play with a few guys or whatever. And uh, I kind of tidied up the uh, eccentric style I had in <clears throat> so that other people could play with it. And that was a string band called Bluegrass Lawnmower. Bluegrass Lawnmower, okay. Bluegrass Lawnmower. Now, uh, the membership changed of that. And by the time it had kind of run its course, or no, we got a couple gigs. You see, the Halifax scene was just a few things. They couldn't afford to have competing metal bands or a bunch of, you know, grunge acts or, or uh, you know, Roots Rock or this I mean, it wasn't this vast, sprawling thing. Um, so people were welcome, whatever they were doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it was the Sloan boys there, or Chris Murphy particularly, and Andrew. Uh, kind of helped me out. It was Chris who lent me the four-track I was recording on. There. Yeah, Chris uh, lent that four-track out to everybody. To, yeah, yeah, he did. Like. <laughs> I liked <laughs> There's a new book that just came out uh, chronicling all of the uh, seven inches that Murder Records put out. Uh, it's great. It's uh, really a cool collection. And uh, yeah, basically every person who made a seven inch at that time was like, yeah, I borrowed Chris's four yeah. track. Yeah, I guess that was it. Yeah, it was nice of him. Yeah. And uh, so like the, it wasn't really a, it was almost a scene, I guess. But, you know, it was just starting, you know, so. 
they'd be like, well, what's that? You know, like guitar, fiddle, mandolin. Well, we didn't have an acoustic bass, but it was just not what was anybody had on the brain at the time. Yeah. But uh, nevertheless, we were welcome. Or I was seen as some kind of already old. They thought I was already around, had been around for years or something, although I looked like I was still 16. I just don't... There's a contradiction here. Like You have kind of a... It's kind of in to be sounding old. You present yourself as an older soul than you are, maybe? Or they thought you were somehow? I don't know. It's weird. But, uh, so, you know, and then the thing started bubbling up. Uh, I guess there was a venue that sort of... Greg Clark, this fellow Greg Clark shifted from one bar to the other that had the f- first one had leaned on incoming acts from elsewhere, you know, big name, rather big, medium-sized names. Uh-huh. But when he shifted over to this double deuce place, he just wanted local entertainment. And so then that sort of was the impetus for uh, people to, you know, step out and play more often. And, and I was just a part of that, you know, and, uh, and then, uh, I don't know, I got recording with, I don't know if Murder, I just started recording with the same guy that had recorded Sloan's first thing. I don't know if it was meant to be for their label, but they, yeah, it was. But then they didn't like it and said, record some more. So that was my second album. Uh, was this Brendan? No, the oh. second one was, yeah. Brendan McGuire. Yeah, they wanted me to do something with him, yeah. The first one was just... Terry Pulliam. Oh, right, right. At yeah. that studio. Uh, what was it called? Sound Market. Sound Market. Right, yeah. right, right. Okay. Yeah, so these things just happen, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. But you you had a slight cynicism, I think, about what was going on. Like in terms of there was all of, all of a sudden uh, scrutiny. After kind of Nirvana blew up, Halifax and Seattle became this thing. Halifax was next on the list, really, yeah. in terms of like, oh, there's a music scene here a music community that some people felt they could exploit, <laughs> uh-huh. for lack of a better term. And you had some cynicism about it. You wrote this song, One Day the Warner, right? which is uh, an interesting one. Well, it's just sort of a rural uh, attitude that some people have. Like, uh, It's not just PEI, I don't think. Uh, the bass player in my group, Tracy Stevens, nobody could have been more cynic- cynical or kind of like, I don't know if that's a word, cynical. But uh, kind of that, dry that, and that's not the right word. Negative, negative sort of or something, you know. Isn't that what cynical means? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, this is sort of sarcastic, I guess, or sort of critical or like uh, picky. I don't know. Like, uh, so I was kind of. I may have been influenced <laughs> by the bass bass player of my attitude or something. No. It must be weird when you're doing a thing and it's a small. I got community. this thing when. You, you know, you're given something and you can't be uh, uh, 100% behind it or grateful for, for it or something. I don't know. You oh, I see. Be. This is a, and some of our peers would, would suggest this sometimes leads to a kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, a kind of self-sabotage where mm-hmm. you, you, you don't trust things enough. Because I feel like in my estimation, you're kind Th- of a rebel. <laughs> and you can't handle external forces kind of telling you what to do. Well, that's true. But uh, it's not self-sabotage anymore. Back then, I wasn't as professional, or I wasn't as experienced. Yeah. And some of my live shows did end up kind of being that way. 
But look, I was influenced by uh, Dylan, and not in the uh, mid-60s. It was the mid-80s when I came aboard with him. So I went to see shows where he played, and it seemed like uh, he wasn't there for a while. (laughs) But uh, then I thought that was really cool, like somebody um, standing in front of a mob of people with nothing. (laughs) And then, like, uh, you know, but then, like, finding some little anything to that kind of turns him on some kind of magic hits him magic hits him yeah and then he goes and this i just thought that was that was kind of cool so i might put myself in situations where i didn't have uh, the resources to to make ordinary uh entertainment so that maybe something like that could happen you know are you are you uh are schedule are you averse to a schedule because when you're talking about Dylan in this show what this reminds me of is the idea that a performer like Dylan maybe someone like yourself uh you're you're tasked with going on stage at a certain time whereas I think in your creative mind you don't make records when you're not ready to make records you go and you make them when you feel like it you know what I mean like if it's not if you're not feeling well, it, I would you, always feel like making a record if I had the resources but uh, but there's a feel aspect where I, I, like when you're on stage and you're not feeling it you can't fake it and so if well, I don't have to fake it or feel it anymore I, I can do better uh, um, shows I mean sometimes I'm thrown back to the state kind of states I might be in mm-hmm. back then I got more experience. I'm not singing in keys that are good for writing a song, but not for singing with a, a loud band in a certain auditorium or something. Yeah, you know, like yeah. oh, that's experience, or you learn how to deal with these things and plow through. Right. So that self-sabotage stuff. There may have been something to that back then, but if I'm being sabotaged now, it's not me that's doing it. You know, like uh, <laughs> <laughs> some some. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. fair. Um, at some point, uh, you had to establish your own songwriting and, and musical voice as a guitar player. Do you, do you, can you pinpoint that? Do you know when that happened? My own voice? Yeah, like, I mean, you, you were kind of, you know, following the lead of other people on some level as a fan of music, I'm sure. You were then in this community where lots of people were doing stuff. Uh, how do you distinguish yourself? I think uh, my own voice arrived just in time for my first album, uh, Somewhat, yeah, or uh, Huli, and uh, I called it. Uh, bef- just before that, I was very much impersonating, or trying to maybe channel sometimes, like the early bluesmen, the pre-war, certain uh, pre-war blues type voices, with some success, you know. This was su- before the Iraq War. <laughs> it was just before this, that the Iraq War. Okay, yeah, yeah all right. That's what I was up to. But then, like when I took that voice out of a solo context, um, I may release some of these so, some of these things sometime, and put it in a band context. And then the band started playing to the, on the stage. I didn't know what I was doing out there, you know, because like, I'm like trying to be Sun House, <laughs> but I'm clearly not Sun House. <laughs> Anybody can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I'm recording in a room or yeah. I maybe I am. Yeah. But like at the Pub Flamingo, not Sunhouse. Right. So the voice became I didn't know what to do with it. It, was, it sort of became a shell of its former self. Right. And then uh I kind of just resolved to scrap that and by the time I recorded my first one, 
just seemed to be because I didn't like my earlier voice, which had been, you know, in a choir, and then it changed, and then it didn't. It sounded kind of lame, mm-hmm. and then I sort of went through this tunnel or whatever of the blues country. And then I scrapped that, and I seemed to have the happy medium. Yeah, yeah. You, you. When you started making, when did you make? When did Arahuli come out? Was it ninety three? I worked on it all through ninety three, and it came out sometime in ninety four. Okay, as did the second one, Brave Last Days. Yeah. They yeah. both came out. Okay, I think so. They're quite different. Arahuli sounds very like, I don't know. Uh, it's, it just sounds like you're in development. Um, and by Brave Last Days, it's, it seems like a totally different thing in so yeah. many ways. Well, it's the uh, sensibility of the uh, producer because it's the same core group. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I threw in everything, and uh, plus the kitchen sink on the first one. Right. I don't mind. I think it has merits, but... No, no, I love it. But uh, the producer, Terry Pulliam, was coming out of... Uh, he was an older guy. He's coming out of the 80s aesthetic, right? So there was more sparkly reverb mm-hmm, and all this. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like I say, Sloan wanted their guy who was pretty up to date. Uh, I don't know who he'd worked with and where he got his thing, but kind of like just sort of trying to get a dry, clean representation of something. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I bring it up because it seemed like an itch. So you got two records in one year. Then uh, New High Road, a song comes out, what? Four years later, something like more that? More than that. Yeah, more than that. Yeah. And then it just seems like a staggering pace after a while. Like, your records would come out eventually, if at all. And then, like, lately, you've been on this prolific streak. You put out this record, Food for the Moon, in, uh, well, I don't know what year it was. Do you know? Oh uh, nine. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. You got, I got it here now. It's in front of me. It says nothing about the Oh nine. It does say oh yeah. nine. So then you got that going. Then you got Under Your Shadow. Mm-hmm. Then you got Stranger at the Wake. You've got this... Very rapid and a brilliant, if I might say, trilogy. Thanks. What's going on? How come all of a sudden you got all things are just coming out? You're not only making stuff, it's coming out. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah. uh, Well, let me see. You're driven. You just seem like you're you're on it right now. Yeah, more so. But it's hard to stay on it. You know, I could have another one out uh, for this tour. Uh, If I find... Just like for one, find a, a, a quicker recording process because I do record a lot and only use so much of it, and it takes me a long time to get all the songs satisfactory. And they're long albums. Yeah, yeah. It could be it could be much more prolific than it is, but I have no budget. Like uh, there's nobody funding funding me except you know my uh, sister and my mother. Right, and sometimes I even pay for some of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> there's, just, not, there's not, simply no budget. I would call. I would have like Johnny Ross, Billy McGinnis, somebody or other, the engineer. I would have them all lined up, and um, you know, for five days, if I had, if I knew where the money would come from, it wouldn't take much. But I just don't have it. I'm in the poorhouse. Right, right. right. So. I just have to uh, co- keep cobbling these things together and get them out as fast. I got songs, uh, my, some of my best songs, big heap of them from the 2000s, really, the first 10 years that never came out, you know, like, uh, and I keep put, chucking a couple of them on each album yeah. as if I happen to record them, but 
There's a big pile of those. There's tons of fresh ones. I mean, lots of people have songs, but... I mean, I don't even want to chuck away my old ones. I feel sad if I die without them um, being documented, you know, uh, properly in some fashion or whatever. So I may seem prolific, but I still feel like I've, I haven't yet um, uh, gotten enough of this stuff out. Well, uh, as I qualified, you now seem prolific. Like, all of a sudden, (laughs) things are just happening. I didn't then, yeah. And it's at a really high level. Like, it's it's interesting to me that as you've stepped it up, you're making, I would say, your best work. Thanks, Vish. Yeah, well, something happened, you know, something uh, fundamental happened to me in, you know, the 2005 or something that just changed the game or whatever, you know, like... uh, for me and uh is this the birth of your daughter well that that was probably the main part of it but yeah. uh i don't think you know she's she hasn't inspired all of these songs but and and she and you know in some way she holds me back whatever because i'm attentive to her at home when her mother's on tour yeah yeah but uh god god bless her you know her mother I, is i enjoy every minute of that yeah her mother is Catherine mcclellan yeah singer songwriter yeah but uh, so it wasn't just the birth. I don't know. I just kind of woke up and saw through the world, right? Yeah. But once the you see through the world, the world doesn't want you. <laughs> so I just have to pretend, you know, that uh, that you know, or uh, you know, just keep plugging away. I don't want to change the world or threaten the world. Yeah. I'm not gonna. How can I do that? But I wanted to uh, tell some of the truth about it, at least, and the truth about life. So I keep doing it until uh, I'm not allowed, you know? You know, when I reviewed your latest record, Stranger at the Wake, I got a note from you, because I kind of described it as your wildest record or something like that. I I used some term, and you were like, I don't know if it's my wildest record. How How would you characterize this new album, if not, if in terms of your own sort of trajectory or discography no i like that wa- term wild you did okay yeah yeah i couldn't tell maybe i, th- I thought that set the right tone uh, okay or you know well the new latest album is uh, the beginnings of it anyway were uh leftovers from the one before but they were left over because they weren't as good there i th- i pictured uh, a certain or I wanted to make an album with that was more upbeat, but not yet. And it didn't fit. So I left yeah, uh, yeah. off the these more kind of rockers or funkier things. And then I found a couple tracks in, that I hadn't done anything with from the past that that seemed to jibe, wrote new lyrics for them. Of course, every now and then I write a new song. And, uh, and this all went in. At first I was hoping for like maybe even just an EP that would be really zipped. Zippy, maybe more like my second one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I want to tell a certain story. And uh, so, you know, I chucked in the the recent stuff, too. And uh, so, yeah, sometimes you just, like the Stones recorded some girls, but they didn't just do 10 songs. They did enough for Emotional Rescue and Tattoo You. Yeah, yeah. Or that might have even started with... Goat's head soup, for all I know. Uh, but uh, sometimes it works that way. Once you get rolling, let it roll, and then 
you figure out what to do. Figure out what to do with yeah. it all later. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to let people know that uh, Al Tuck's uh, latest record is "Stranger at the Wake." It was released by Cameron House Records earlier this year, and you can learn more about Al and his uh, all of his plans at altuck.com. And uh, Al, great pleasure to speak with you. I, I want to go to a song from "Stranger at the Wake" right now, if we can. Do you have one in mind? Uh, how many minutes do you have? You got some minutes here. You got like four minutes. Oh, four. Four or five? Uh, you mentioned the Stones. There's some Stonesy songs on here. Yeah, yeah, well. <laughs> but if there's something else. How about uh, that Married Life? Sure, yeah. Do you, like, do you like that one? I do. I played it in the intro. Oh, you did? Yeah. I thought that was We Didn't Dance. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're totally right. I got Married Life and We Didn't Dance because they're both kind of about weddings in a weird way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, that Married Life, uh, it is. Sure, let's do that. And uh, is there anything you want to tell us about this song? Uh, about this one? Yeah. Is it pretty self-explanatory? Yeah, I think it is. Or, uh, no, I don't know what to say about this. I'm, I'm actually just kind of wishing I could play, because, you know, there's some songs you won't hear on the mainstream. Well, you won't hear any of them mainstream. <laughs> and then there's the CBC, and then there's a ton of songs they would never play on there. And now I'm playing something that c- could be played elsewhere. Let's just play it. But not here. Let's play it. Here it or, is. Okay. Let's do it. Al, thanks so much for being on uh, my show. Thank you, Vish. Turns 24 or 5 
get some sleep, honey, I can drive Nothing can beat that married Thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at cfru.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.